0: And we'll pursue that with all of our heart. Like Paul said, we will forget what lies behind, but we will press on and lay a hold of that for which you laid a hold of us. Father, we commit ourselves to you now as we open your word. I pray our hearts would be like freshly plowed soil. And Holy Spirit, that you would impregnate the word into the womb of our soul. And that, Lord, you would fertilize it, you would nurture it, you would breathe upon it your word, Father, would live within our heart, that we might follow you and honor you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? Some of the songs that our team have been leading us in today are very relevant to just what I want to share on this morning, particularly that great old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Though peace like a river tendeth my way or sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, whatever I face, whatever I am challenged by, whatever storm, whatever disappointment might come into my life, good and bad, like Job said, shall we receive good and not evil? When God is on the throne, it doesn't matter what we face. When God is on the throne of our life, We will get through any situation, any circumstance. And that last song, is faithfulness, His mercies in you every morning, His faithfulness just lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. And what He's done for others, He can do for you. There is no partiality with God. There is no shadow of turning. He is the greatest constant you would ever have in your life the anchor of our soul. He's the rock of ages. No matter how strong those winds blow and those storms ravage, He is an ever present help. Ever present. Not a sometimes present, but an ever present help in time of trouble. We do have a great month coming up this month, uh, particularly October, the 22nd, the weekend of the 22nd as Jono said, Pastor Danny Guglamucci is with us, and I shared this last Sunday. Let me share it again if you weren't here last Sunday, but Danny, uh, about 18 months, two years ago, he stepped out in faith because he believed the Lord had called him to um, operate more in his apostolic mantle and sow more into the life of local churches rather than just lead a church himself, but to so into the lives of the leadership of local churches and the heart and soul of local churches. And he has stepped out and and really it's been confirmed because of the many open doors that he has um, received from churches right around Australia and and around the globe. And uh, many of you know that Danny is a part of our apostolic board, our apostolic oversight. And for many years now, he has spoken into Margot's and my life and therefore indirectly spoken into the life of this church as a result. But he's also come and spoken directly into the life of this church as well. And Danny just has a tremendous heart for the local church. And it doesn't matter what size the local church is, he goes to them all. He speaks at Hillsong's main campus in Sydney every January. And they get him back. But yet he goes to little country churches because he's got a heart for the church wherever it is. And um, he's coming to us and we, we try and get him annually. Into our church because of his role as our apostolic oversight, but he is—he's no longer on a wage. He's now just living by faith, trusting that offerings will come in enough to support him and his wife, and uh, for him to be able to do what he's called to do without being encumbered by finance. So we are going to receive a love offering on the twenty-second, and I, I just want to encourage you to prepare your heart, be prayerful. Um, you know, the Bible says, "Give honor where honor is due," and. And don't muzzle the ox while they're threshing. And Paul said, of course, God is not talking about oxen in that verse. He's talking about ministers of the Word. And uh, Danny is one of those faithful ministers of the Word. And, you know, I know Danny well enough to know who come for nothing. He doesn't ask for anything. He just turns up, he ministers. But I think it'd be great if as a church we could really bless him. So if you could just be prayerful about contributing to that offering on the 22nd, which is two Sundays away. So it's a fortnight today. And clear your diary for that weekend. We're just going to have a great time of impartation from a great, great man of God. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your uh, ministry this morning and great medley of old hymns. Who who enjoyed the old hymns? All the older generation and a few of the younger ones. (laughs) A few of the younger ones. Some of them never die, do they? They just live on and on and on. I don't know how this is going to come out this morning. Um, Margot and I have had two little rugrats, I mean, grandchildren. Um, staying with us for the last two nights and it feels like two months. Um, We love them dearly, but uh, my goodness, they're a handful when they're 18 months old and three years. Um, They are so demanding. They just think life is all about them. (laughs) But, you know, so in the process of Trying to be grandparents and uh, trying to do that journey and keep my heart open before God for what He wants to say. If Harry McClary ends up in my message, <laughs> I've just got the wrong one in front of me. Um, but anyway, let's see how we go this morning. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 is the starting point for my message. And I don't feel I'm going to speak very long today. We might have a little bit more worship towards the end of my message. Uh, But I do hope to really encourage you and challenge you with this. But Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart will make all kinds of plans and establish all kinds of dreams and aspirations, things that he wants to do, things that he doesn't want to do, places he wants to go, places that don't interest him. A man will plan his way. Generally speaking, we have goals and dreams and and you may not write them down in a book, but you keep them in your heart, things that you would love to do before your days on this earth are over, places you'd love to go, ministries perhaps you'd love to launch or participate in and engage in. We all plan our way. But how many of you know that that our plans don't always come to pass? Our plans don't always work out the way we had originally anticipated, or perhaps strategized. And um, you know, I, I know for me, when I first had the call of God upon my life, I, I thought it was to be a travelling evangelist, and I began to kind of think that way and plan that way. But I began to discover that. I might have a plan, but it's God who directs the steps, and He ultimately will take us where He wants us to go, and He will journey us not just to the place He wants us to go, but He will take us the pathway He wants us to go. I am a a firm believer that the Lord still speaks today, and when it comes to directing our steps, He will speak to our heart. He will bring his word to light as we sit in his presence as we wait faithfully upon him as we surrender our heart and our soul and our plans to him he will speak to us according to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25 the author says see that you do not refuse him who what speaks, speaks. it doesn't say see that you do not refuse him who has spoken but him who speaks that, that tells me immediately God still speaks today. God is not silent. We are just not attuned. We have so many frequencies and so many voices vying for our attention that often they will muffle out the voice of God. And that's why it's so important for us to put time aside where we sit quietly. And in quietness and in confidence, we find our strength. And as we wait upon the Lord, we mount up with wings as eagles. And often that strength and that Energy to rise up comes from his voice speaking into his life, into our life. The author goes on and says in this verse, If they, he's talking about the children of Israel when they were coming out of the wilderness, out of Egypt into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. If we, you know, if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth? It's talking about Moses when they didn't listen to the voice of Moses, who was God's mouthpiece on the planet establishing the pathway of his people, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who, there it is again, what speaks from heaven. We are called to be led by the voice of the Lord, our great shepherd. We're called to be led by his directive voice. We're called to hear and obey what it is he tells us to do. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, uh, Jesus said, My sheep, Hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So you see, I I am a firm believer God still speaks today, and hearing and trusting and obeying the voice of Jesus is a very, very clear characteristic of a son and a daughter of God. To hear his voice, to obey his voice, to respond to his voice is a very clear characteristic, and it's an identifying mark that someone is a son or a daughter of God, that they hear his voice and they followed the direction of his voice Romans chapter 8 verse 14 as many as are led by the spirit of god these are sons of god so it's a characteristic that we carry that we hear his voice and we follow his voice and we are led by his voice and we are sensitive to his voice and we are guided by his voice when i first took over the leadership of this church it's it's actually 19 years ago on the 1st of next month and I look back and I think, man, that's a lifetime. That is, that is a lifetime. But when I first took over the leadership of this church, I, I was overwhelmed. I, I believed the Lord spoke to me. He, he gave me very, very clear direction. And as I sat in his presence and I waited upon him, he made things very clear to me. And, and I was so confident that I actually said to the Lord, I'm not going to apply for the position. If I'm the man, you'll speak to them and they'll ask me to come. And that's exactly what happened. You would think, having had that unfold in such a way, that my confidence levels would have been up here. But they weren't. I was still overwhelmed. I still felt inadequate. I still felt ill-prepared. I still felt unequipped for what it was God had called me to do. Even though I knew he'd called me to do it, I had a sense in my heart, God, I can't do this without you. And I can't do this without your voice. I need to be directed. I need to be led. I know you've given me a brain and I know you've given me uh, an an ability, a God-ordained ability to work things out and to strategize and to plan because a man does plan his ways, but ultimately he will breathe on those plans, adjust those plans, and redirect those plans. And we have to be big enough to allow him to do that. And, you know, I, I also am a firm believer that if things don't work out the way you had planned or strategized there is there is a bigger and a better purpose behind it all the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and if we if we are people who just struggle with disappointment because, well, I wanted God to do that and He didn't, I wanted God to do this and He didn't, if you truly believe that your steps are ordered by the Lord and that if God is for you and that He is not against you, if you truly believe that in Christ you are more than a conqueror, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your every single step is being ordered by God, even down the pathways you don't want to go. Even when doors close, that you want to stay open, or even if doors open that you don't want to open, you can be sure that if you believe what the Bible says, that, that wherever you might go, he's leading and directing your steps to a far bigger purpose than we could have ever dreamed of or imagined. I want to welcome my son and daughter-in-law into the house. <laughs> Late for church again. But I felt very, very overwhelmed when I took over the, the church. And I remember, and I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again because I know there are people who have never heard the story. And, and uh, you know, and I think this will encourage you. But, but I went for a prayer walk, and as I was walking, I was just talking to the Lord. I, I was crying out in my soul, just saying, God, I, I can't do this on my own. And then I'm starting to have doubts, thinking, God, did I make the right decision to even come and do this? Because we were doing really well in business. We didn't need to leave the business. The business was flourishing and it it had the potential to expand and enlarge and go to places that that we hadn't seen it go. And and I began to doubt and I'm saying, God, I can't do this without you. I need your presence. Without your presence, I was a little bit like Moses. Without your presence, I can't go any further. And I need your voice. I need your, your guiding hand. I need your directive word to my heart. God, I, I can't do this without you. And as I walk down the street, it's one of the most dynamic experiences I have ever had in my entire Christian leadership journey. And it hasn't happened very often. It's, it's just been rare occasions where in those pivotal moments where God sees the heart and he sees the sincerity of the heart and the desperation of the heart. As I'm walking down the street, it was like somebody walked up alongside of me and put their hand in mine. I literally thought somebody had. It was so real. As I walked, I went like that. i thinking, who's that? And there was nobody there. And instantly I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I am with you all the way. Uh, about a year or two ago, I was praying in our staff prayer meeting, and I had, I don't get very many visions, but they say old men get dreams, young men get visions, and that might be why I don't get <laughs> visions, but I don't get many visions. But I'm in a prayer meeting, and, and it was like a, a movie screen was turned on in my mind, and I saw Jesus like I'd never seen him before. It was Jesus the man standing in front of me he didn't look like the pictures of Jesus that I've seen that artists have portrayed he didn't look like the Jesus from the greatest story ever told or the Easter movies or the Christmas movies he it, it was and I knew it was a vision from God and he looked at me in the vision smiled and said, we are in this together. you see I know he still speaks today he still guides and he still directs today earlier this year I entered a, a very serious prayer focus fast, because I wanted some clear direction from the Lord. And it was back in around March, April, and I, I was fasting and I was eight days into the fast and I'm lying on my lounge at home. And I, I was just talking to the Lord. I said, God, I need, I need clarity. I need some direction. I need to know what it is you want me to do at this particular junction in my life. And, and as clear as two things, he dropped into my heart. And there were two things that I just knew Were from God. He spoke to me, and what he spoke to me, faith leapt inside of me, and I knew it was the voice of God, and I knew it wasn't exactly what I thought he was going to tell me to do, and that's why I knew it was even God. Because it sat so peacefully in my heart, but it wasn't really what I was hoping he was going to tell me. But he spoke and it gave me a whole new sense of clarity and resolve and conviction to get up and keep moving in a certain direction. I am a firm believer that God still speaks today. However, however, I don't believe it's the only way He leads us. I don't believe we should just sit quietly, wait for Him to speak, and then go. I, I believe that the Lord doesn't just direct our steps by talking to us, But he often directs our steps, often, often directs our steps in a way that most of us don't like. And that's by dropping problems in our lap. (laughs) And we don't like problems. None of us like problems, unless you're a mathematician. But none of us like a storm to suddenly blow into our Family. None of us like a storm to suddenly blow into our finances. None of us like storms to suddenly just crash into our life that come out of absolutely nowhere. I, I don't know. I've been out riding my motorbike at times, and I'm riding into a clear blue sky, and then I look in my rear vision mirror, and everything looks black. And then when you kind of look back, you think I better ride a bit faster. This thing's chasing me. They can come suddenly and come out of nowhere. But often, God will direct our steps by dropping problems into our life. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 71, it might as well be verse 7,001 because there's so many verses in Psalm 119. Watch this. He says, My suffering was good for me. Why? Because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Often, God will get our attention with a problem. He will bring a challenge into our life to get our attention. The psalmist says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. You see, when you're in pain, obedience is the best way out. Obedience is the Quickest way out, obedient. We will so often prolong the journey through the pain because we we mishandle the pain. We mishandle what God is trying to achieve in our life. The problems we face, you've heard it all said before, will either make us or break us. God sends problems into our life to make us and how we handle those problems will determine whether we make it or we are broken in the process. Unfortunately, most people fail To see how God wants to use problems in our life for our good. Instead, we react foolishly and we resent problems. We react foolishly and we resent problems rather than pausing to consider what good may come out of this. What lesson does God want me to learn? What challenge does God want me to overcome? In order to go to where he wants me to go. Instead, we resent the problem, we hate the problem, but the psalmist says, My suffering was good for me because it taught me something about you. It taught me something about your plan. It taught me something about your purpose. And, you know, when I look back over Margot's and my leadership journey, and I'm being really honest with you this morning, when I look back, and I think it's been about 35 years that we've now been involved in. Christian ministry and leadership. And during that season in our lives, our greatest seasons of spiritual growth have come as a result of unpleasant, unwanted problems. Our greatest seasons of spiritual growth, our faith levels have risen in the middle of unwanted, unpleasant problems challenges that I could sit here and list off for you. And sometimes I do list things off because my heart is to hopefully say something that someone can identify with because what you're facing isn't necessarily what the person next to you is facing. What I'm facing isn't what you're facing. But if I can just rattle off a whole heap of things, I think somebody's going to go, that's my problem. But we've had some seasons in our life where we've been on easy street, where we've, uh, you know, it's, it's been like the Rapids Prophecy that we've talked about uh, probably too much, but the Rapids Prophecy, you know, David McCracken looked down at Margot and I in this prophetic meeting and just went, oh, and I'm going, well, what? I hate it when a prophetic voice does that. You think he's not going to say something nice? And he said, it's like you're in a canoe and everything's pleasant and everything's calm and it's just lush, it's just gorgeous, it's paradise. And I'm going, yeah, I want it to stay that way. You know, shut up and keep preaching. I don't want to hear any more. But then he said, but, but the river is going to pick up speed and then it's going to pick up more speed and then it's going to even get faster and the next thing you know, you're going to be in the rapids. This is almost verbatim of what he said to us. And he said, your paddles are going to go overboard and you're going to lose all control and all you'll be able to do is trust God. But God is engineering these things in in the lives of leaders because what he wants to do in the church, he can't do through human gifting alone. He has to do it through yielded hearts, surrendered hearts, broken hearts that are yielded to the rider with the bit in the mouth So he can take you where he wants you to go, but at the other end of it, there's going to be an incredible fruitful place and a breakthrough that is just going to take you to places you never thought possible. But there were times in the journey of the problem, we wanted to get out of the canoe. We wanted to jump ship. We wanted to jump, jump onto the shore and run for our lives and just go back to business or go back to boiler making or go back to what it was that I did. I, I wanted out, but yet something inside of me said the good steps are ordered by the Lord and He will take us through. When Jesus said to his disciples, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, the storm came. They were afraid for their lives. They thought they were going to sink. They woke him up and said, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus virtually said, don't you know or don't you remember? I said, we're going to the other side. And if I said, we're going to the other side, that's where we're going. No weapon formed against you will prosper if I said, we're going to the other side. So, we've got to learn to stay the course, but our greatest seasons of spiritual growth have not been when the canoe has been in calm waters. Often, that can be our worst time in our Christian walk because we become familiar with God. And after a while, we just have everything we need to the point where we just kind of push God out. We don't do it intentionally. And if somebody said to us, You know, do you really trust God? Yeah, I trust God. Well, when was the last time you trusted Him? Well,. Uh... Well, I haven't needed to trust him in my finances and I haven't needed to trust him in my marriage. Everything's really good. Well, actually, to be honest, I've not really stopped and thought too much about God lately and that's what happens. And sometimes God wants to get a bomb under us and he'll give us a problem to get get our attention. That's how he will often work in our life. Our greatest seasons of spiritual growth, listen to me, folks, has come as a result of the disappointments we have faced. Our greatest seasons of spiritual growth have come as a result of the storms that we have encountered, as a result of the setbacks that we have experienced. Our greatest seasons of spiritual growth has come in the middle of the betrayal. It's come in the middle of the challenge. It's come in the middle of the woundings and the mistakes. It's come in the middle of it as we've contended with them. Our greatest levels of faith has gone to whole new heights as a result of the problems. God doesn't just direct us by telling us, Go down that road, don't take that road, don't embrace that person, connect with that person. He will do that at times, but more often than not, He will get our attention by a problem. And He will drop a problem in our life. The Lord doesn't just sit in heaven, just saying, don't turn down that road, you'll be disappointed. He doesn't sit in heaven saying, now, don't trust that person because they'll betray you. He doesn't sit there saying, don't take that path, it'll produce pain in your life often the roads of disappointment are the ones that he has ordained for us to travel and sometimes he will say trust that person even though he knows they will betray you because he wants us to learn to grow and trust in him when man fails us he never does But too many of us, our faith is unsettled because someone horizontally failed us or let us down or wounded us or hurt us. Sometimes he will let that happen in our life to see what is actually on the inside of us. And as a result of that, he will pull us to higher levels if we face the problem correctly. You know, I understand there are certainly people and there are certainly pathways that the Lord definitely wants us to Avoid. However, I have learned in my journey that there are pathways, problem-filled pathways that he has ordained for us to walk down. I think it was Rick Warren said, although I think he got this from somewhere else, the Lord brings problems into our life for three reasons, to inspect us, to correct us, to direct us. The Lord will bring a problem, a storm, a challenge, a disappointment, a betrayal. He will bring it into our life in order to inspect us. Job is a classic example of that. The devil comes before God and says, you know, God says, have you consider my servant Job? And he said, yeah, he's, he's serving you with impure motives. Okay, well then let's inspect him. Let's see. The devil says, you, you take away everything that you've blessed him with and he'll curse you to your face. God said, okay, let's inspect him. That's what Job was happening in Job's life. It was an inspection process. It was a, an order to see what really was in Job. And the devil wanted to find something against Job to block Job from being who God had called him to be. And so God says, okay, let's introduce some problems into his life to inspect him. It was a character test. It was to find out whether he truly did serve God with a true motive. It was to find out whether he was truly faith-filled, whether he truly would keep following Jesus if Jesus stopped blessing him. And that often happens with us. God does not want us attached to our stuff. You know, we live in a world today that loves stuff and uses people rather than using uh, using stuff and loving people. And he does not want us. Into that place where we are so blessed that we don't need him anymore because we've lost sight of the fact that we are blessed because of him. And so sometimes he will bring a storm and he will rip something out of your life because he's trying to get a he's putting a bomb under you to get you to focus back on him. It's to inspect us. Sometimes he'll bring a problem into our life to correct us. And I think Balaam is a classic example of that. Balak, the king of the Amorites, is is intimidated because Israel is marching towards their promised land. They've left Egypt, they've had their 40 years, they're on their way to to take what God said was theirs. And, And Balak, the king of the Amorites, he was intimidated and threatened. He did not want these people. So he'd heard of Balaam, who was some kind of prophet of the Lord. I don't know, he was an unusual guy, Balaam, but Uh, He heard that this guy got words from God and this guy had power when he spoke. So he sent for Balaam and said, I want you to come and curse the people. But God said, you won't do anything of the sort. So he sends a whole entourage to Balaam and says, we want you to come and curse the people. He says, well, I can't. God's told me not to. And so they then went back with more higher officials and a big truckload of presents come on, Balaam, this is what it's going to be worth to you if you just don't worry about what God's telling you to do. Just do what I'm asking you to do. I'll set you up for life. And you know what Balaam did? One of the most foolish things a man could ever do. He said, well, let me go and pray again. See, there's a scripture, and I can't remember where it is right now, but there's a scripture in the Bible that says that often, when we get so obsessed with wanting God to do something, and we start praying for God to do that, it's an idol in our heart, and God will eventually answer us according to the idols of our heart. Now that is in the Bible. I just can't tell you exactly where, but it's there. I've preached out of it. Sometimes we go, "God, I want this. God, I want this. God, please give me this. God, I, need, you know." And God's like, "I don't want you to have that right now. Or I don't want that to take place yet." We're but we get so obsessed that we're really—it's become our God, not God. And the things become our God, and we go. I want that, and then the Bible says, if we get like that, eventually God will say, "All right, you can have it." But then it burns us. And so Balaam goes back, and he begins to pray, "God, I've just seen the bag of goodies. Are you sure you don't want me to go and curse your people?" Oh, duh! How much wrong with this man? You know, he's just got an image in his head that he's lost sight of God. And you know what? God said, "You're yeah, right, go." That used to always throw me. I think, you just told him not to go. And now he's come back and saying, you know, maybe I've misheard. God says, all right, go. And then the passage goes on and says, and then God got angry with him because he went. This is bizarre. Sometimes we read this, you think, oh, no, it's too hard to understand. But when you pull the veil back and you, you get a revelation of what's going on here, God told him not to go. Then when he gets his eye on the loot, he goes back and says, God, I just want to make sure that this really... I mean, this would be great if it was your will. And then God said, yeah, you've got an idol in your heart and I'm going to answer you according to the idol of your heart. And God said, go. And then when he goes, God gets really angry with him. Because it's almost like God saying, I told you the first time what I wanted you to do. That's what you need to hang on to. And then he gets on his donkey and he starts off. And there's big, whopping, great... Arnold Schwarzenegger angel stands in the path of the donkey. Balaam can't see it because he's a stupid twit. <laughs> but the donkey, who's smarter than Balaam, sees it. <laughs> and it freaks the donkey out. And then the donkey then slams into a wall and crushes Balaam's leg up against the wall. And Balaam, you stupid ass. Oh. <laughs> Sounded like I was from America then, didn't it? Well, it is. They are an ass, aren't they? That's all right. If I was in America, I'd probably be in big trouble saying that now. You stupid donkey. And then the donkey pulls the donkey out and it goes up, but the angel's still standing there eyeballing the donkey. And the donkey whack hits his leg against the wall. And next minute, they go off a trail, down an embankment, across a paddock, and off into the wilderness. And Balaam's going off like this. You know, it was a problem for Balaam, and God brought the problem to correct him. If he would just open his eyes and he just realized this, there's a reason for this problem, there's a purpose behind this problem, there's a reason I'm not getting where I want to go. What is it if we would just stop and say, God, let me learn from this problem. Let me know what it is you want to do. Let, let my faith levels go to new heights. Let, let my relationship with you become more real. Let my, my ear be hearing what you're wanting to say to me right now. Now, at this particular time, God will bring problems to inspect us. He will bring problems to correct us, but he'll also bring problems to direct us. And Joseph is a classic example of that. You study the life of Joseph. That guy, had, he had it hard. He was miserable. Betrayed by his brothers. Removed from the comfort of his family. He was just a boy. He was a teenage boy who just lived in the love of his family, but God had a big plan for his life. God had a huge plan. He was actually a type of Christ, sent beforehand, to save his people from a famine that was going to hit the land. And and of course he's betrayed and then he's falsely accused and then he ends up in jail. And it's just one disappointment after another disappointment, one setback after another setback. But you see, every problem that he had directed him to a whole new step in the process that God was using to take him where God wanted him to go. If we would just understand that our problem is not our problem. Our problem is how we handle our problem. Our problem is how we face our problem, it's our problem is how we view our problem. It's not just God who is watching our reactions. but the devil's watching too. And we talked about this last week. He's looking to find a case against us, that he can bring an accusation before the throne of heaven to say, I know you've got a big plan for Damien down here. I know you've got a great plan for Janice. I know you've got a great plan for Kiralee. And I know it's all written in your book before one of those days ever began. But there is sin in their life, undealt with baggage. And I've actually got a whole list here on Damien, so we'll go there first. He's like Balaam. He doesn't even know. He's got to take notes to find out what sin I've got in my life. You know, and it's like, if you're being inspected, a problem comes into your life. I want to shine in a way that pleases my heavenly father. I don't want to shine in a way that gives the devil fodder to bring me down. Can you hear what I'm saying? What are you facing right now? What is it God wants you to learn right now? What is it he's trying to expose right now? Is there something in your heart that he does not want there? And the only way to get you to deal with it is to bring a problem into your life. And eventually that, that issue is resolved. For me, when the rapids came, it exposed in me a lack of trust in God's ability. That's the reality of it. And if I had just jumped ship, I would never have gone to a place where, God, I know that I know that I know I cannot do this without you. Let me, let me share with you a secret. And if you get this, you will survive whatever storm comes into your life, if you get this. When I first started Boilermaking, I was 16 years of age. I'd left school and got an apprenticeship as a boiler maker, the metal fabricator. And my first job was with pressure vessels. And we would build pressure vessels the size of this building. Some of them were absolutely humongous, and they big big cylinders would be taller than this this uh, floor to ceiling, and about the length of wall to wall. Great big cylinders, and they'd be they'd be welded up and then the welds would be x-rayed because these big pressure vessels would, had to be built to withstand pressure. And what we used to do is we would fill these big things with water and then you'd seal off all the valves and then you would pump air into the vessel. And we used to have a gauge. The pressure was mind-blowing. I thought, if this thing blows, we'll all land at Nobby's for sure. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be disastrous. But they would pump incredible amounts of pressure into this thing, looking for leaks, looking for cracks, looking for anywhere water might be seeping through. And I I don't know, I can't remember what sort of poundage it was that was pushed into these pressure vessels, but they'd be tested. And if there were cracks, it had to be back gouged and then re-welded and then re-X-rayed. Because when that went out into the field, they had to know there wasn't going to be a potential disaster. But one of the first jobs I worked on was a submarine. It was actually not a submarine like you would think of, a submarine. It was what they called a diving bell. And it was a two-man submarine, like a mini sub. And it was designed to go to incredible depths in the ocean to retrieve divers who had the bends or that kind of problem. And we, we fitted it out with beds and we had to put like cabinets and things like that in there for supplies. And then they would go down, retrieve the diver. There was one chamber they'd go into, the water would be pumped out, then they'd be put into the other chamber. And they would then, I think, slowly be brought back to the surface um, to overcome the the bends that they had um, encountered. And the thing about this diving bell is it was built to withstand incredible external pressure. Because the deeper you go into the ocean, most of you would understand the pressure is unbelievable. And this thing would go to incredible depths, but it was designed to go to a certain depth. If it went beyond that depth, it wouldn't, the integrity of the thing would not be sustained. And this diving bell would be lowered, and it would only be lowered to a certain level on the ocean floor. But listen to me, whatever the pressure on the out, outside was less than the pressure on the inside, it was okay. But if it went beyond its, built capacity and the pressure on the inside became less than the pressure on the outside, it would crush that thing like an eggshell and people would die. It's the same with us. While ever the, the pressure on the inside is greater than the confronting, pressurizing problem on the outside, you will always survive the storm. That's why I believe being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues is so critical to a follower of Christ today. You know, uh 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, builds himself up. Jude, the the apostle Jude says, Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You find it's only one chapter in Jude, it's easy for you to find that. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, he who prophesies edifies the church. So that gift, that language of speaking in tongues will will build the pressure on the inside, the good pressure. You'll be edifying your spiritual man. And when the pressures on the outside are brought to bear, if you just kick into that gift and you begin to utilize that gift and you begin to get away with God and you pray in the Holy Spirit, something happens on the inside. The Bible promises something will happen on the inside and an internal strength will just lift you up and you'll eyeball that storm. You'll eyeball that challenge. You'll eyeball that mountain. And with the strength on the inside, you will you will break through. You will overcome. You will achieve what it is that is, is in front of you to get you to the next step. It might be a problem. And instead of going weak at the knees run to God in prayer with that gift and that language of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues some of the the greatest times of breakthrough I've had is through the language of the Holy Spirit it's through that gift of the Holy Spirit I can't explain it and I know it makes us Pentecostals look weird but let me tell you something I don't care how weird I might look when I know it works now, I, I agree we don't go blurting out speaking in tongues while we're walking through the shopping center aisle. You know, some lady walks past and... Don't do that. You know, Paul, Paul is very clearly teaching us, you know, that, that only spiritual people understand spiritual things. And when you're outside of Christ and you're lost, you are dead in your spirit. We don't under, We just look weird. Don't look weird. And that's why the Bible actually says, he, you know, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And prophecy, he said, I, I would rather you not come and all just speak in tongues because when unbelievers come, they go, these people are nuts. It says that in 1 Corinthians. So be wise in using it, but get away in your prayer closet, get away in your house, get away and let, let yourself loose. I, you know, one of the first experiences I ever had with the power of speaking in tongues was when, when John Smack was a senior minister here and I was his assistant. John called an all-night prayer meeting. I've never called one of those. <laughs> I like my sleep. He calls an all-night prayer meeting and we went up into Town to what the, the property the church owned back then, Prayer Village and I thought, oh, I just want to have a, a good meal and let's watch a movie and let's, let's just enjoy each other's company. And let's go to bed at a reasonable hour and let's just enjoy the, the night. And let's talk spiritual things. And he said, no, we're, we're going to pray all night. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And he wanted to start straight away. And it's like, it's not even dark yet. <laughs> we're going to pray all night. I thought, I don't want to pray all night. My flesh was screaming, I don't want to pray all night. But after a while, I knew he was going to. And he was the boss. And what was I supposed to do? I said, I've got to make, make good of this somehow. So I just sat in the room floor talking to myself after all the grumbling and the complaining. <laughs> felt like the sons of Korah. John, I complaining. I wanted to one of the ground, didn't open up, and swallow me up. <laughs> but I just said, Lord, I said, I, I've got to get through the night. And I felt really bored. And I just felt, I just felt him say to me, spraying tongues. Now, I was about to speak at a youth camp about two or three weeks and I didn't know what I was gonna speak on. I had to speak four times. And and, uh, and and I just felt the Lord say to me, pray in the Holy Spirit. So I just started. <laughs> you know, it, I just it was so dry, I felt like I had a mouthful of sawdust. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden it was like a wave hit me of the presence of God, and my tongue language changed. I swear to this day, it was Japanese. I, I wish there was some Japs there, could have interpreted for me. But to this day, I swear it was Japanese. But I got so loud, I felt embarrassed. Now, I could have stopped because we can control it, but it was so good, I didn't want to stop. But out of my embarrassment, I'm thinking, Delma was there. She's in one corner. John's in the other corner. They're being really spiritual. And I, I just, I had to get up and leave. So I got up and I went down into the bedroom and shut the door. And I don't know how long it went on for. It was hours. But let me tell you something. In the middle of that, instantly, I began to get revelation about the youth camp. And I got four messages, bang, one after the other. Knew exactly what it was I was to speak on. He even gave me stuff to put in the message. It wasn't just the title, but he gave me stuff to put in. And I'm just praying away in tongues and I'm thinking, I hope they haven't gone to bed because they're missing out on a whole heap of good stuff here, you know. But let me tell you something it was the first taste I had that the gift, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not the end, it's the beginning, it's the doorway into revelation, it's the doorway into personal power. It's the doorway into breakthrough and, and dealing with the mountains and the storms in our life. Because when you, you pray in the Holy Spirit, you build up your inner man, your faith levels rise, you somehow connect with God and you lock arms together and you can take down any mountain that's in front of you. We need to utilize that gift. Utilize it when you're driving along in the car. Utilize it when you're in the shower. Utilize it. Just utilize it, but just don't do it in the shopping center. You know, problems are not the enemy. It's how we handle our problems. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. And Audrey's leaving and I'm about to call him back up. So we better have the band back up. We're going to stand together. I, I have gone longer than I thought I was going to go. But, you know, don't give the devil fodder. He's looking for a case to build against you. Don't give him bullets for his gun. Shine in the presence of God. Take the problem to Jesus and understand he may not want to take the problem away. You know, too often we say, we say, thanks, Maria. Too often we say, you know, Jesus, I've got this problem, take it away. And a lot of the times he's there saying, I put it there. And I'm not taking it away till you learn what I want you to learn. I'm not going to stop this pathway. I'm not going to bring this pathway to an, earning, to, to an ending until you learn what I want you to learn what do you want me to learn? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now we can make some headway. I want you to learn to trust me. Like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I mean, you might think, well, how bad is this going to get? Well, it could get to the point you lose your life. Happened to Job. Though he slay me, he said, I'll trust him. Think about Stephen, the apostle. He's just doing what Jesus called him to do and they turn on him and they stone him and I'm thinking well any minute now an angel's going to come out of heaven smite them all and he'll recover he didn't he was promoted to glory and I think when we get a taste of glory we'll think "Oh, I would have wanted to have come here a long time ago I would have wanted to have stepped into this realm a lot long ago and we, we hang on to things we hang on to stuff and it's like God why have I got this problem why have I got this challenge and then he can he can begin to show you and guide you and I want you to learn to trust me I want you to go to new levels of faith. My suffering was good for me. Can we have that back up? Psalm 119 verse 71, Nelson. My suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Don't resent your problem. Let your problem build you. Let it grow you. I'll be honest, there were times in the last seven years I didn't think I was going to make it. Honestly, I did not think I was going to make it. And I I don't know that I've ever shared this with you. And I don't want to rattle anyone's cage. But for the first time in my life, I had suicidal thoughts. First time in my entire life. Now, I don't believe I was suicidal. I don't believe I would have ever done the deed. I love my family too much. But for the first time in my life, I had suicidal thoughts. The thought of checking out permanently. I'd be with Jesus. I'd... It was just a very, very appealing idea. But I had to come to a place. But that might not be what you want from me. What is it you want me to learn out of this? This is so hard. This is so painful. This is so, so gut-wrenching. What is it you want me to learn? And, you know, it's always easy, this side of the journey, to look back and go wow, that happened, that happened. I I was so blind to what was really going on there. There was a bigger picture. And now I can see that happen. I've I've actually written a book about my journey. I don't know that it'll ever be published because it's a very raw book. It's a very raw book. It's done in two parts, the story, the journey. One day I think it'll help pastors. The second part is lessons that Margot and I learned. That's the key part. And there were 20 lessons that I believe we've learned in that journey. And, you know, if I had checked out, I would have sabotaged all of that. I would have sabotaged all of that. Your biggest problem is not the problem. It's how you handle the problem. And if you let the problem drive you to Jesus, where you end up with nothing but you and Jesus, that's not such a bad place to be when it's just you and jesus it's not such a bad place to be because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills the earth is his and the fullness thereof it all belongs to him when it's just you and jesus sometimes i think if we're so caught up with our stuff if he just took it away and reintroduced us to him i think we would become totally different people stay the course stay the course Don't give the devil fodder by behaving badly in your problem. Shine for Jesus. Amen.